0: There's been a seismic shift in how consumers engage with entertainment and expectations of creativity in the media, and creativity remains the key competitive advantage for advertising effectiveness. As the world's fastest growing creative playground, TikTok is empowering everyone to find creativity in the smallest of moments. In this session from Advertising Week APAC 2022, we explore the impact of democratized creativity on the world of advertising and wider creative industries.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. Great to hear so much laughter and that we can relate to some of the content here. Uh, If you're looking for your place in the world's fastest growing playground, you're in the right spot. So my name is Annie Havercroft. I am the Head of Global Business Marketing. Thanks, Baris. I'm Head of Global Business Marketing for TikTok in Australia and New Zealand. I'm delighted to have wonderful conversations with some industry experts and advocates of our creators. Now, what's quite interesting is with over a billion users globally as a platform, TikTok is empowering everyone to find their creativity in the smallest of moments. And if you follow Rob Mayhew, who's one of the creators on our platform, you'll see that no moment is too small and you can find your place wherever you are, whoever you work with. Uh, I'd like to um, talk through the session and what we'll cover today. Effectively, what we're looking at is exploring the impact of democratised creativity um, on our platform, how it impacts the world of advertising and also the wider creative industry. So with me today are three of the best in the industry to talk about this topic first is Jules Lund, who's the founder of Tribe, the fastest growing technology platform that connects brands yeah. and creators, Whoa. fan club over there.
2: they staff members. <laughs> they have to, they're selling to you today. So. Yeah.
1: He'll pay you later, literally. A thought leader and an advocate for the creator economy, I'm so excited, Jules, to be having this conversation with you. Our second guest today is Shivani Maharaj, who Hello. is chief... <laughs> I'm loving the vibe, it's so supportive, it's great. (laughs) Chief Content and Partnership Officer for Wavemaker, a group and agency. Her passion for storytelling, creativity, backed by data and tech is second to none. She has uh, established great relationships and partnerships with the like of DoorDash, Netflix, as well as Airbnb, just to name a few. Last year, Shivs was shortlisted for the Creative Person of the Year at Campaign Asia Agency of the Year Award. Congrats. Thank you. And our third panelist, well, let me just show you this.
3: Duh.
2: What do you think of that freeze frame then?
3: Oh my god. (laughs) It didn't look like that, I promise.
2: (laughs)
1: So Roe Singh, let me introduce you to her. She humbly describes herself as makeup and decor enthusiast, but really she's a visionary, as you can see, a creative force. Beautiful blend of face and space in terms of what you create. Renowned for pushing the boundaries of beauty with bold rainbow-infused and bedazzled um, uh, imagery to accentuate her South Asian heritage. She's been featured on media such as Nylon Vogue, Hype Babe. Uh, Welcome, Rohi.
3: Thank
1: you. I think the thing that a lot of the people in the industry are are keen to know, let's get straight down to it, Rowie. I'm going to ask you this first question first. What led you into the world of creators?
3: I feel like with a lot of creators you kind of stumble into it. You just figure out something that you're good at and then you keep practising and keep going and then um, suddenly it snowballs into a platform. Post high school in uni, I just dabbled with makeup because I didn't get a chance to do that in school. So I would just play with like a palette and just like splash colours on my eyes and I was terrible at it, like really, really bad. But I just thought I would document the process and post about it on an Instagram. So I had like a personal Instagram and then I would post there and then it just evolved and snowballed and then all of a sudden I'm making a TikTok, doing these like transitions, trying to get the timing right. And um, yeah, I feel like it just kind of, we just landed here after just pursuing my passion I think. Fantastic, so practice makes better, practice makes you a creator
1: on a hundred percent yeah. So you've been on the platform now for a couple of years yeah pre-pandemic tell me what is um, the main difference that you're seeing in terms of being a creator on TikTok versus other platforms?
3: Mm. I feel like TikTok is almost a world of chaos, like anything goes on that platform. Um, but I think it's like a, a space where you can embrace the chaos. And um, I was so used to having a formula when it came to posting on social. I post at this time, I create this amount of content, it's gonna be this quality, I post this many times a week. I kind of threw that all out the window and that was a little bit scary. That was frightening for me. Cause I was like, I got it down pat. I spent years building a platform and all of a sudden this new platform has come about that I have no idea about. And there are people on there like, you know, going viral for, like, farming or cleaning and really <laughs> random specific things. And I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to fit into this, but I, I found my niche, I think. I think I, I co- like, took over what I was good at, um, you know, creative makeup, and I found my niche in transitional content and, like, really, like, punchy, quick, seven-second content that just, like, engages people. And I, I loved it. I thought it was really fun. And I, I love it as a creator and as a... Um, user as well fantastic I love the fact that you talk about it as chaos and beautiful chaos yes. Yes.
1: Um, for those who are interested in farming I think there's a, a massive trend cottage call if uh, yes. if you're keen to check it out it's a, re- a rabbit Warren of great content so then let's let's stay on this beautiful chaos aspect of it you know there's all types of people that show up um, to play on the platform so much going on. Shivs. let me ask you this question. What did you find surprising and what do you find surprising about the platform?
4: I think there's a perception that you have to have a cool brand or a cool product to be on TikTok. I mean, roby's just mentioned farming and cleaning. <laughs> um, but I think like clean talk as a trend, you know, there's something like 800 million views in Australia on that trend. And I quite enjoy understanding, like, hacks around, you know, how do I make my life better? So I think clean talk as a category is, um, like, crazy good. Um, And I think there's a whole heap of CPG brands that would not even think that, hey, does my toilet cleaner have a role on, like, TikTok? Can my laundry detergent have a role? And the answer to that is yes, because there's conversations happening there right? I mean, as an audience planner, you know, as a media agency background, that's what we are really good at. And we have to understand what audiences are doing, what they're consuming, what they love, what they hate. So I think there's a really uh, unique experience at the moment happening on the platform around, you know, subcultures or sub-communities. And whoever you are as a product or a brand, like, see what what, what might be um, being said about your brand in that space. So I think that just those mundane, everyday products is just really cool to see how they're being brought to life in an entertaining um, and cultural way. Um, again, I'm just going to talk about this a little bit more. Like, um, so I've got an um, Indian background as well. I'm Fijian Indian. Um, and I really enjoy the, um, almost the Aussiness of bringing Aussie humour and an Asian background together and, you know, almost juxtaposing of what cleaning is like in an Asian household. Mm. And to see someone like the Chains family just do that so well on TikTok, it makes you remember what it was like. You know, it's quite nostalgic of what it was growing up in an Asian family, which, you know, I think a lot of people can connect with. And, you know, Australia is finding that really entertaining. Um, So it brings joy to, to just really mundane products.
1: I love the fact you talk about the diversity of content and the representation on the platform, depending yeah. on where and where your what your background is. Uh, what's quite interesting to add to that as well is clean talk, one of the massive trends we have on the platform. One of the biggest sellout um, products is a product, a sponge called Scrub Daddy. So for those.
3: There we go. I got influenced through TikTok.
1: I'm not even kidding. (laughs) So it's a sponge, for those who don't know, has a face and looks like a sun. Uh, And it was a part of the TikTok made me buy it trend. So we're talking, you know, a trend that is 14 billion um, views and growing. So it's it's scaling and it's also something that's relatively mundane, but actually quite cathartic to look at if you're into cleaning products. Now, Jules... (laughs) I don't take you as a cleaning type of uh, really? <laughs> uh, man. Really?
2: That' because of my scuffed uh, RM Williams.
1: <laughs> You're probably more the uh, the, the farm type. Oh. But w- what do you find? <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's what we just talked for an- about
1: farm and cleaning. Oh. Uh, so tell me, what did you what do you find interesting about our platform?
2: Um, look, I was really surprised just by the the power of sound. Uh, I'm a visual guy, and I uh, you know I, I loved. Um, early on how um, filters first lowered the barrier to entry because before the Instagram filter I think the first pic was Kevin and Mexico of some dog using Clarendon or Lark the filter people weren't really photographers and we had shit smartphone cameras like Nokia 6210 or something and you couldn't really turn that into a nice photo but before then people were just people and there were photographers and then that that ability to take an okay photo and then put a lens on it lowered the barrier and allowed people to go wow I actually I feel like I can contribute and have built confidence and then we sort of saw that with Snapchat filters I feel as well like it would just draw you in because it was so funny what it would do to your face and before you knew it knew it you know you were laughing and you know everyone a puppy dog to, yeah everyone wants to celebrate that. Um, and what's extraordinary about TikTok, as well as, uh, I suppose, all those creative tools, and we're seeing more and more creative tools come out, visual ones. Mm-hmm. I'm astounded by how a soundbite can draw you in. Mm-hmm. Um, and funny quotes or, you know, a song like I've got no more fucks to give or, you know, you, you end up, you know, like mums just, you know, when their kid's just throwing food at them, they just want to film it. And then you get the song and all of a sudden you, you apply it over that and you're funny Right, and so, and and the same as like I've got a like a farm dog. <laughs> <laughs> or I got a fucking Cavoodle. <laughs> I work in bloody influencer marketing. I have to have a Cavoodle and a, and a white Range Rover and teeth whitening trays. No, um, but. I have a a puppy that isn't very scary looking. And then when the soundbite came up saying, bottom line, I need a, a guard dog. You know, I want someone to come through that door and be immediately terrified by my dog. Clearly, I'm going to put that over the top of my dog, sort of scared of its own shadow. And then I'm funny. Not now, clearly. But in the social sphere.
1: We we do talk about the power of sound, and yeah. I think that ta- kind of takes it back into you know the core core of marketing. You know,
2: yeah. Well, like, I think right? there's a marketing opportunity there because everyone talks about NFTs, and when you think about non fungible tokens, you, you sort of move individuals. But I actually don't think, and I might be wrong here. You tell me. But I think just because people are excited by that technology doesn't mean the consumers give a shit. Like I don't know if Gen Z is screaming out for NFTs. Maybe they are, but I certainly know that they're trending hard on sound bites. I don't understand why an NFT shouldn't be really high quality sound bites from celebrities doing funny stuff and you can only sort of access that or, or unlock those. And then I think about brands like having really nostalgic jingles and whether they could just put those jingles in there, everything from tip top to all of these silly things like that we grew up with, you know, not funny Jan and you know, Yellow Pages if they're still around and they still have a marketing budget, but um, <laughs> I think there's an opportunity there for marketers as well through sound. And I also think that's probably a more compelling use of NFTs, which sort of doesn't seem to be used.
1: And it is one of the benefits of the platform. I think that sound on experience is certainly playing to the, you know, the marketing fundamentals there. So let's take a step into the world properly of marketing and branding now that we're going to it. Rowie, I'm going to come back to you. You used to work in agency world, we were just having a chat with Sparrow, uh, reminiscing on your agency days. So tell us a little bit about your foray into advertising and how has that experience shaped you as a creator?
3: Mm. Yeah, so I used to work um, at Mindshare as a social exec. So I was in the social team and um, I was media buying, so I was like, you know, buying like Facebook ads, scheduling, all that kind of stuff, and I understood it from sort of the back end. But whilst I was working at the agency, I was building my platform at the same time, which is really, really interesting, um, because there were moments where I would be working with influencers and I would see their budgets, and I was like, why aren't I getting paid that (laughs) (laughs) amount?" So... I was like, this is really interesting, because I could understand it as what the, the brand objectives and the needs were, versus what the influencer needs were, and I sort of came in and sort of bridged the gap between the two Um, and then especially when I decided to go full-time as a creator which was really really risky and really really scary but I think maybe working in socials gave me the confidence to do that Um, but taking what I had learnt and applying it to the influence industry and influence at that time I think it was like 2018 2019 there was just no, it was the wild, wild west. And I'm pretty sure it still kind of is. Like everyone kind of was doing their own thing. Um, there was no really standard of like, what to pay influencers or how they should be creating. It was just a lot of people who fell into stardom and then just all of a sudden had to run their own business. And I kind of fell into it from a I from more of a like a, I guess, like a backend business perspective. I kind of knew what I wanted to do and how I wanted to like create in that space. Um, so I applied like the same processes, I guess, um, asking clients. Um, I think a lot of the times, influencing was a tack on. It was like, oh, maybe we have this beautiful, amazing campaign with all these channels, and then maybe we'll get a couple of influencers and, and to post. And that would never, ever work because they're not part of the whole channel that would just attack on. And so for me, going into it, I would question the brands and be like, so what is my role here? What are the objectives? What do you want me to do? Um, is the objective like link clicks because then I know what to <laughs> pop in my stories? Is it awareness and I can create something really beautiful mesmerising? Anyway, yeah, that's, that's sort of how I started it. They would have been very
2: surprised.
3: Well, <laughs> but not just that, like surprise, but also I think, Like my um, influencer agency that I was with at the time was like, "Mm -hmm," like what is going on? Like how, like not stepping on the toes, but almost like this is how I want to function and this is how I want to be successful Um, and sort of taking the reins a little bit, but making a bit more of a partnership with the brand rather than me just jumping on and seeing what, works,
1: yeah. Well, as the old adage, give me the freedom of a tightly divine brief. So it sounds like that was what you were asking for. (laughs) So it's really interesting you talk, Rowie, around, you know, let's not have creators as a tack-on and that it needs to be in the heart of the campaign. So, Shivs, from your point of view, how has TikTok changed the way you're thinking from a planning perspective?
4: I don't think TikTok's changed the way we plan because fundamentally, our role as a media agency is always to know the most about the audience, right? So five years ago, TikTok wasn't around, so it wasn't part of the audience planning. You know, fast forward obviously to to today, you know, we still care about what, you know, where do we find the um, audience? What are they doing? What are their passion points? What I would say is that when we're planning social, I think that the role that TikTok plays um, as part of, you know, how we're potentially implementing or executing is very different to how we potentially plan or Meta or Snap or whoever it might be, but I think the principle of, you know, being bespoke to the platform and doing what's um, right on the platform, there is something that TikTok is doing that is resonating a lot more successfully with marketers and brands than potentially some of the other um, platforms. And I say that um, because the briefs that are coming across our desk is much more around you know, here's my global asset or here's my TVC, please adapt it for YouTube and Meta and and so and so. But for TikTok, brands are actually coming and saying, you know, tell me what I need to do. You know, do I need to work with creators? Do I need to... So I think there is a, you know, a greater appetite from brands and advertisers, and I think you guys have obviously done a very good marketing job in in that, but brands are actually briefing us in on creator-specific responses or formats. And I think from there, we're then actually understanding... OK, great. I mean, organic is, is there, but, you know, fundamentally we have to have paid media to get the scale or reach that we need for brands. So I think from our point of view, you know, if I sit here and, and look at, you know, potentially as an agency, what percentage of our spend goes into brand, um, branded content ads with Meta versus the percentage of our spend that goes with Spark ads, you know, I think fundamentally it is significantly more with TikTok Right, So, you know, I would say less than 10% if we want to put some numbers in there um, for branded content ads with Meta, but from a Spark ad point of view, I would say more than half of our um, ads. And I think it's, it's, you know, yes, we've had the experience of hindsight, um, you know, to work with other platforms, but I think there is something fundamental and um, culturally relevant that, you know, we have to sit back and listen. It's okay, it's now, you know, what is TikTok doing? This, like, we have an opportunity to be part of culture And I don't think we've ever planned or had culture at the forefront of how we're doing our planning. And I think that is something unique to TikTok. Mm -hmm. And that's why I really, you know, urge people to, you know, whatever your brand or whatever your category or product is, is what is the conversation happening on TikTok? You know, there are tools out there for TikTok trends um, and being able to, you know, tell your story or entertain or, you know, whatever your KPIs might be. It's like, I just love what you can uncover because it's almost like everything that you think is, is, you know, the reason why we market can al- almost be flipped um, when we see what actually people are doing on, on the platform. So it's like a big focus group. Like, let's, let's understand what people are saying um, in Australia around your product, and then let's tell the story of the brand um, in a way that connects and entertains. Um, and, yeah, that's what I really love, um, as, you know, sitting as an audience expert we now have you know, more power and more c- control around creativity than potentially our creative friends um, at creative agencies.
1: It's a really interesting area about cultural heartbeat. Jules, you
2: had your... Oh, I was just going to say, do you think... Because I think... Do you think it's the performance difference of branded content ads versus Spark or it's the approach? Because I think you said it in the planning. Because... And and I assume everyone sort of understands what creator ads are. So that's where a creator will post something and they'll go to their audience. But what you can actually do is turn that into an ad. And the benefit of that is you can choose a very specific audience. You can add a call to action button. So buy now, learn more. So it's taking what is organic and a good tool, which is, you know, we know... Um, Ads lack influence, but influencer posts lack those sophisticated ad targeting tools of Meta and Spark, right? So you can now have the best of both worlds. You take the organic posts that that Rowie posts and then you go on to specifically target this audience and I want them to download this or buy now, right? So that's transformed and it was created via Meta and reflected by Spark ads in TikTok and it's completely changed creator marketing. But what I'd say is what, what TikTok has done brilliantly is just go, don't make ads, make TikToks. And you can't make TikToks without a creator because you can't have the creative director go into a 16-year-old girl's bedroom watching, filming a bedazzle her face, I hope. Um, you shouldn't, anyway. Um, so the point is, use creators to do that. And so that specific nature, if I go to TikTok to work with creators, now in, in Meta you've got a lot of different ad formats. But what gets drowned out in there is you've got these, pow- these powerful creator ads. And the same methodology applies, and it's just an education piece. If you can start to approach all creator campaigns, right, as organic as just step one. Don't stop there. You're not going to achieve enough. It is about getting all the content, seeing what performs, and then picking the best out of those and then smashing that through to a paid outcome. And so if there's one thing, it's, there's a lot more spend on... Spark creator ads are not BCAs, but they exist there, and I think the performance will knock your socks off when you compare it to other ad formats, because as I say, ads like influence influencer posts now have the sophisticated tools.
3: Just on that as well, I think TikTok is a space for creators, not influencers. And for me, creators are people who have a craft or bring something to the table. It's an entertainment space. It's not just a hub of a range of personalities. And I think that's what's different about TikTok is that you can specifically seek someone out who has a particular skill that would align with your brand. And then you're not just hiring them for their influence and how they speak to their audience. On TikTok, you're hiring them for that craft. And so a lot of the brands that I work with, they're like, we just really like your artist. So, you just do what you do and then use our products, and those are the best performing pieces of content because I'm just doing what I would normally do using products organically into like beautiful artistic content and then them reposting their content and pushing it out. Those are the best performing content pieces. Yeah. So
1: we're moving into more the performance conversation and ROI. So we did some research from a media mix modeling um, point of view with Nielsen earlier in the year. And what we found was we were seeing an ROI of $1.44 for, um, in terms of return on advertising spend for every dollar you invested on the platforms. like 1.36 times better than any other platform. From an... Return impact perspective shifts. How are you helping and supporting your brands in measuring success?
4: So it's funny you said a dollar forty-four. So we've just done a global study um, with creator-specific um, ads, and the return on investment on average for brand versus creator or creators we were getting six dollars fifty for every dollar spent. So that's a global average, it's not specific to Australia. But, you know, we are seeing um, that creators are obviously having more impact, right? Um, We've done a lot of um, brand studies. I mean, you know, first and foremost, we were testing around brand ads versus putting a creator with the product, how does that perform? Letting a creator do their organic thing, how does that perform? And almost looking at the creative. Um, and you know which one actually is the most impactful. So from a creative point of view, we've had you know a few different brands where you know the, the create uh, the creator-led content performs a lot better. Um, but then I mean I think it's gonna it's, it's going to differ by category. So I think it'll come down to whatever your KPI is. You know if you're doing awareness then you know brand studies, market mix modeling, that's a great way to test performance um, for, for the upper funnel stuff. If you're getting sort of down and you want purchase loyalty. Um, ratings reviews then you know url tracking you know you you'll put your kpis in place off the back of what your kpi might be so i think there isn't a one-size-fits-all it'll be based on your kpi like i go back to what is the right plan for you know where your um, product might be um, in the consumer purchase journey but there is a way to be able to test the performance of tiktok versus you know any other platforms and or any other media like it doesn't change just because it's TikTok. We do campaign performance for all touch points and channels. So I think it's understanding, you know, potentially what's the return of TikTok versus something else. And, you know, what we're seeing at the moment is, you know, we are getting some really great return on um, TikTok based of based on cost of entry or, you know, there is still a really nice organic um, reach there as well. Um, So I think it's yeah, it's a sorry, it's not a one answer.
1: I like yeah. the methodical way that you're approaching it with your brands as well. So for those um, who may be familiar, we have a, a team at uh, TikTok called Creative Lab. They help brands, agencies crawl, walk, run with all of their approaches to participating in, in the platform. But just in the interest of time, I think there's a, while there's a logical flow in terms of how you test and learn and experiment on the platform, let's go, let's go inspirational as we wrap up this session. Shivs, you, a couple of weeks ago, challenged the industry on um, more inspirational, innovative, creator-led campaigns. Can you tell us what's something that you're seeing, what's a campaign that you're seeing that is kind of the direction you're heading, you're wanting the
4: industry to go to? Okay, I'm going to be naughty, I'm going to give you two. So first, it's not my campaign, but you know, if you work for Tinder, amazing. But um, I think that um, what Tinder is doing with love songs, and I know it was last year, but I really love how, um, where branded content is going. I mean, you know, it's obviously not anything new to the TV industry or movie houses, but I love that, you know, we're seeing a lot of investment from Screens Australia, from governments um, and brands in actually creating brand funded content for the platform. So for those that um, you know, don't know, uh, Tinder created a 20-episode um, love song series about what dating is like for Gen Z, so they were very short, sharp content pieces, and you know obviously there's a great brand fit with Tinder, um, but a really way, uh, great way for um, Tinder to, to get their message out in a more entertaining, engaging way, so I'm really excited where that space is going from a brand-funded content point of view. Um, The other one, um, I will talk about one of my campaigns. Um, It would be remiss of me me not to. Um, So we do a lot of work for uh, Netflix. um, And you may have heard about a launch called Stranger Things a few weeks ago. Um, But what was um, really great when the team worked on that specific campaign, and yes, we had a big activation down at Bondi Beach. Some of you may have seen an upside-down rift. Um, appearing and we worked with a whole heap of creators and, you know, the planning for that was very much around, you know, Aquabumps is there in Bondi every morning. What is he going to see in the morning? What are the Bondi rescue guys going to see in the morning when they wake up and see something's come up? So we kind of looked at it in a very different way and the type of creators we brought into it. But what I love even more is we actually um, ran a live stream fan engagement with TikTok, um, which was all around um, a Q&A session. And what we did in that live stream, um, which was all about the fan experience and fan engagement, you know, we had, you know, over one million views on a live experience. You know, I think average views was two and a half minutes. We had 68,000 comments. And for Netflix, all of our KPIs are never around a movie trailer, right? I think it's very easy to think that, you know, Netflix creates great content. You've got a trailer. Put a whole reach and frequency. We don't do that for Netflix at all. What we do for Netflix is very much around how do we drive conversation? and how do we drive buzz and talkability around shows? Because that's what performs and what creates culture. So I think it's a really nice, like it's the first time we've done a live stream. It's the first time we've tested something like that. And then again, you know, we did a physical experience, but we also did an online um, experience and just seeing the performance of conversation across the two. And I think that was a really nice, you know, a nice opportunity to see how that potentially, you know, grows in the future.
1: Great. Two really progressive brands there. Uh, 30 seconds. Roy, can you, if you were putting your ask out to the universe of the type of work you would love to collaborate with a brand on, what would it be?
2: R.M. Williams. <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, I, I just really like it when people um, brief me. They give me guidance, but they also, like, we well, just want to know what you want to do and what you want to bring to the table and how you can create. Um, uh, I think... An interesting one is, it's not makeup, it was with an alcohol brand and um, uh, I created like an ASMR video, so I took like something that was like a cultural moment, ASMR, um, and then I combined it with makeup and I did a look inspired by the drink and I just did like a, a cocktail making class where everything was ASMR and that was just an entertaining piece of content and it performed really well. So when they let me sort of like lead on the creative and then we worked together as like a partnership. Um, I think that's when it, it sort of hits and works really well. Yeah. Fantastic. True collaboration. True collaboration, yeah. Because right. creators have a lot of good ideas and they know their audience best. Perfect. And Jules,
1: take us home. What is the one advice you would give to brands when collaborating with creators? Well,
2: I think it's in the title playground. Like when I think of a, a playground, especially when I was a kid, you know, you'd turn up with no plan, you just had an idea of what you wanted to get out of it. And when I think about um, creator marketing and um, especially for marketers in TikTok and, and Meta and Snap, et cetera, um, it, it's, it's a bit like that now. It's exciting in a sense that you know, traditionally, I suppose a creative director might come up with a vision and it would be quite micromanaged all the way through to preserve that original idea I think with creator marketing, you sort of have to approach it slightly different and you can still have the creative director that comes up with an idea, but they bring those creators in earlier up the funnel, not just a a tag on. Mm -hmm. And then they say, they treat it like a playground. They just go, right, here's the themes, go and have a play. Mm -hmm. And I think what's achieved is outcomes that you just would never be able to predict (coughs) otherwise. And I think we have a great renaissance in creativity that's a lot more boundless and no one person can come up with an idea of what Rowie might come up with, but if they give that sort of red thread or that, that narrative or, or those symbols of the brand or the codes, or what Ritson would say, then such a magical stuff can come back, and I think that's a pretty exciting Uh, industry to be a part of where you sort of take the lid off it and you don't have one creative director you have millions
1: and that is the true definition of democratizing creativity thank you so much ladies and gentlemen give it up for my guest today
0: thanks for listening For more content like this, or to find out more about Advertising Week's global events for the advertising, marketing, and technology industries, visit www.advertisingweek.com. Chaptering and other structural elements for this podcast are powered by Snackable AI. With the ability to unify all content in one place, have AI distill the best insights instantaneously and share them seamlessly businesses on Snackable create more relevant value for their audiences faster than ever before. Learn more at snackable.ai.